open. Did you know that there has been an astronaut uh, in space right from the time that the Soviet Union collapsed? He's still up there apparently and I know this because I got an email uh, through The subject was, Nigerian astronaut wants to come home. It says, Dear Mr. Sir, request for assistance strictly confidential. I am Dr. Bakari Tunda, the cousin of Nigerian astronaut, Air Force Major, Abacha Tunda. He was the first African in space when he made a secret flight to the Salute 6 space station in 1979. He was later a Soviet uh, space. Uh, uh, he was later on a later Soviet space flight, Soyuz T-167, to the secret Soviet mission. It goes on. There have been um, supply flights to him ever since that time. He is in good humour, but wants to come home. In the 14 years since he has been on the station, since the Soviet Union collapsed, think about that. Um, He has accumulated flight pay and interest amounting to $15 million. This is held in trust at Lagos National Savings and Trust Association. So we can obtain the money, we need to place a down payment with the Russian space authorities. Consequently, my colleagues and I are willing to transfer the total amount to your account and reward you with $3 million for your help. And it goes on, if you send them your bank details, uh, you can uh, join in this amazing scheme. Please acknowledge the receipt of this message via my direct number only. Yours sincerely, Dr. Bakari Tunda, Astronauts Project Manager. Now, I'm sure we've all received emails like this, uh, haven't we? And uh, hopefully, (laughs) we can quickly tell that they're not real. Sorry to disappoint you if you're looking for $3 million there. Yet some people fall for these scams. That's why these things keep getting sent round. You think it would be impossible to be deceived by these things, but people fall for them. And people ring us, don't they, on the phone. We get it quite often pretending to be from the banks. Uh, They ring you pretending to be your phone company and tell you that there's something wrong with your computer. We live, in a way now, in the age of the imposter, don't we? We call it phishing, that's the sort of technical term. But really, it's just people being imposters, And the first century, when Paul was writing to Timothy, was no different. There were lots of imposters around. People even pretending to be followers of Jesus. People even pretending to be apostles. And there was a lot of confusion going round. Genuine believers didn't know where to turn. Especially as the apostles began to die out. Where did they go to find the truth? This made Timothy's task of guarding the gospel even more urgent and serious. 
People were trying to co-opt and pervert the early church for their own ends. In the last gospel, uh, sorry, the last chapter, we saw a bit how to, how to guard the gospel. And if you like, this chapter is why it's so important, why it's so crucial to guard the gospel, and why it remains crucial to this day. There are still a lot of teachers going around, aren't there, peddling something they call the gospel, which is no gospel at all. So Timothy is to guard the gospel because, first of all, there are imposters. Have a look at verses 1 to 9. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Actually, we'll stop there for the moment. Paul here tells Timothy that we are in the last days. It would make no sense if this was some far-off date he was telling Timothy about, because actually... First of all, Timothy is, is told about these things. And secondly, he's told to avoid these people. That seems to imply that these people are around for Timothy to avoid. The last days then are between Jesus' death and resurrection and his return. And the last days, Paul tells us, will be hard. Paul says they'll be hard because of people. And he lists off that big list that we've just read out of what people will be like. And I've often heard this quoted as evidence by people that we are in the last days. They say, look out there, look at the world. Heartless, ruthless, brutal. Look at the supermarkets. See how the disobedient their children are to their parents as you see them going round and demanding sweets and throwing tantrums and look at their parents, no self-control, they just give them to them. Or look at the look at the people, the greed, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But there's two slight problems with that view. Firstly, we're told that they have the appearance of godliness. That seems a bit of a strange detail to add after that big long list, doesn't it, about how ungodly they actually are. Now, it doesn't mean there that they're in the image of God, though that's true. That's a different phrase altogether. It seems to suggest that they have a semblance of holiness. They put on the pretense of being good, what Paul gives us is a true description, though their appearance might be different. But the world outside doesn't generally try and put on an appearance of good. You know, they, they generally try to get by. But this is a group who seem to be almost deliberately pretending. The second reason, though, why I think it can't be the people outside, if you like, is that Timothy is told to avoid these people. Now, if this was a description of people in general in the last days, then it would mean that Timothy would have to avoid the world, wouldn't it? The world in general. And that can't be right, can it? How can he reach the world if he's actively to avoid the world? So it's better to understand these, this description here as a description of imposters, fake Christians, with an appearance of godliness, but without the staying power without the genuine change of heart, false believers and false teachers. And that fits with what comes next, if you have a look at verses 6 and 7. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, 
burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, creeping into households is not a general world activity, is it? It's not something that... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's not not in my house anyway. We don't generally get people uh, creeping into our house uh, unless they're a burglar. Uh, and also, targeting women here that's mentioned is not generally something that the world in general does. But it has been the tactic of cults down through the ages, knocking on doors during the daytime when women were traditionally at home by themselves, leading them astray as they themselves have been led astray. Always learning, but never arriving at the truth. Constantly looking into things, but never actually getting to the truth. They may sometimes appear like the real deal. But in the end, despite appearances, they're found out. Paul gives us another duo example. You know, it's all the way through. So, verse 8. Just as Janus and Jombres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Jannes and Jombres were the traditional names given to the magician who faked miracles to deceive uh, Pharaoh during the time of Moses. They had the appearance of the real deal, but they could only go so far, couldn't they? They could reproduce the early miracles, but not the later ones. They could do frogs, fake frogs, but gnats, somehow that was a step too far. I was thinking that would be easier than frogs, but there you go. But even the signs and wonders are not a sign that someone has the truth. The flashy stuff can be faked. What cannot be faked is genuine godliness. Godliness that is more than skin deep. But many will be taken in by these false teachers who will lead them astray. Who will claim to have the gospel but present something subtly or sometimes less subtly different. So Timothy must guard the gospel because there are many fake teachers and fake gospels out there. And that's still the case today, isn't it? If you Google any sort of faith question that you might have, I can virtually guarantee you that the top answer on Google will be from a cult. And if you think about it, Google and search engines, that's the places where most people get their information from today. People are spreading lies. So we need to be in the business of spreading truth, don't we, if they're spreading lies. Making sure that the true gospel message is out there. Because lots of these fake messages as well are putting people off Christianity in general. Because they think they've found Christianity and they don't want it. So for example, in, in Africa, the prosperity gospel is, is quite common out there. They have lots of converts to the prosperity gospel... But it also has a very, very fast rate of falling away. Because they tell them that they're not going to suffer, that they're going to get rich, that their cows aren't going to die, that their crops are going to grow. And then it doesn't happen. So they think, well, Christianity, I don't want that stuff. It just lies, isn't it? They'll reject Christianity because they think they've had the real thing, and it doesn't work. Or think about, in Europe, the liberal gospel. You know, just behave, be nice. But with no power to actually do it. And again, lots fall away. They go to churches and see people claiming to be moral or, or preaching moralism, but not actually living it out. And people go, oh, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. Or if you think about in America, you get a political gospel. You know, uh, what being a Christian is about is loving the Republican Party and, and the guns and all that sort of thing. 
And people think, well, I don't want that if that's what Christianity is about. Or think about Roman Catholicism, a sort of guilt gospel. You know, it's all about feeling bad and saying Hail Marys. And again, people think, well, I don't want that. And they think that's what Christianity is. They think they've tried the real thing, but they've no idea that they tried a fake. So we need to take extra care guarding the gospel. Because people are very big at sharing and peddling these false ones. There are imposters still today. What will this lead to? Well, we see in verses 10 to 13 that it will lead to suffering and lies. Have a look at 10 to 13. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here we're actually told these people are imposters. He uses that word. Imposters who are being deceived and also deceiving others at the same time. And what he's saying is that they will continue to spread their lies right until the end. This will keep going. But Paul here pleads with Timothy not to go down that track. Instead, he is to live a godly life and face the inevitable suffering that comes with it. One way to find true believers through history, if you read some of the uh, history books of uh, the church, is to go back and look for persecution. Because generally where there's the true gospel, there's persecution. It's not 100% effective, but where there are genuine believers, there will be persecution. And especially when imposters are peddling more acceptable versions of the faith. Whether that be allowing you to worship Roman gods, as it might have been, as well as worship uh, worshipping gods, or allowing you to choose your own sexual ethics. The genuine version will always look like the one that's intentionally trying to be intolerant. And it's always been so, even right back in Roman times. But Paul says, don't follow them, follow me. That's quite a bold statement, isn't it? In fact, he tells Timothy that's what he's been doing. He's already been following him. He's been side by side with Paul through much of his later life. Timothy knows his teaching. Timothy knows his aim. Timothy knows his love. He knows his patience. And he knows that those things resulted in persecution and suffering. Not just once, but at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. In fact, if you read Acts, Timothy was there for those things. He suffered right alongside Paul. True gospel ministry leads to persecution and suffering. And yet, he survived. God rescued him. So Paul picked himself up brushed himself off and carried on preaching the gospel in the next town. He's reminding Timothy that this is quite normal. This is what Timothy too will face in his ministry. This is what we will face in our different ministries. But the implication is that Timothy is to carry on following Paul's example. So I want us just to think just for a moment to ourselves about Paul's example and how that compares with our own. So you can either write this down or you can just think about it in your head. 
But I want you to think, what is my aim in life? If I had to sum it up in just a few words, what's my aim in life? What is it that I'm teaching as I live, as I speak? What is my conduct like? And then four things that characterize me. So for Paul, that was faith, that was patience, and so on. So what is my aim? What am I teaching? And what is my conduct? Just take a minute to just either write them down for yourself, or um, you can just do it in your head. My aim, what is it that I'm teaching through my life? What is my conduct like? And four things that characterize me. I'll just give you a moment. I'm not going to ask you to share these, don't worry. guys finish that later on but this is what Paul would say my aim in life to please God that's what he tells you in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 he's about pleasing God not himself his teaching what we've been seeing in life groups haven't we Paul's teaching could be summed up as Christ crucified in 1 Corinthians 1 that's what he was all about Jesus You could look at it another way from Acts 20 verse 27, the whole counsel of God as well. So looking at the whole Bible and it's just Christ crucified. which should tell you something about the Bible, but we won't go there right now. My conduct, well he writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 10, that his conduct was holy, righteous and blameless. Not blameless like Jesus, but what he means is above reproach. And then what's the four things that characterise him? He says faith patience, love and steadfastness now bear in mind he was writing this to somebody that knew him well I wonder if you asked your wife or your husband to write this list or your mum or your dad what would they say are we going to follow Paul's examples and live for Christ Or are we doing something else? Well, his conclusion then is that as they go from bad to worse, always learning but never arriving at the truth, deceiving and being deceived, Timothy is to do something else. Timothy is to stick to the scriptures. Have a look at verses 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly (coughs) believed. Knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In contrast to their constant movement from one thing to another, Timothy is to continue in what he's always known, the scriptures. He's known them since he was a child, no doubt taught by his mother and his grandmother. Now, when you say sort of continuing something that you've always done, it might sound a bit boring. But it will mean that he won't go chasing after the latest new thing. Because he already has all that he needs in the scriptures. See, sometimes frustrations in the Christian life can lead us to look for answers elsewhere, can't they? We feel like we're missing out on something. And in that state, we can be easy prey for false teachers who make false promises of an easier life or some golden bullet for us or some extra blessing. But what Paul is saying is don't be hoodwinked and don't let others be either. Continue in the scriptures, continue in the truth. What do we find out about the scriptures? Well, they're able to make you wise for salvation. One of the purposes of the scriptures is to show us how to be saved. They point us to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the whole Bible is there for, to point us to trusting in Jesus. So as we're handling the Bible rightly, if we expound a passage and it tells us something different from that, then we've got it wrong. The second thing we find out is that they're breathed out by God. God breathed out his word. It's his breath, his pneuma, I can't do this, pneuma, his spirit. So we mustn't separate word and spirit because both of them are breathed out by God. The word is the sword of the spirit. It's the spirit's power in our life. He breathed it out. They're his words. And they're supposed to be useful. Not to sit on a shelf, but actually to be used. Not even just to be read or studied, but to be used. What are they to be used for? What are they useful for? Well, we get four words here. The first one is teaching. They're useful for teaching. Now, this is a word that exists in the sort of intellectual realm, if you like. This means what to believe. This is telling us, the Bible's there to tell us what we are to positively believe. Now, we often downplay beliefs in our society, in our society, don't we? They're seen as divisive. But we need to know what to believe about God, ourselves, and the world. And the Bible tells us those things. It tells us about God, that he's our creator and that we are his creatures. It tells us about our sin, about Jesus, our saviour. Those are things that we teach, aren't they, positively. And without teaching, in that sense, there's no gospel, is there? So the Bible is useful for teaching. It's also useful for reproof. Still in the intellectual realm, <clears throat> sort of like the opposite or the flip side, uh, rather, of teaching. This is what not to believe. You see, the thing is that we, we like to think in some ways that we're blank pages, don't we, when we come to the word, and that it just sort of fills us in. But actually, we're not blank pages. Our heads are already full of ideas, and often those ideas are either slightly or badly wrong. So it's not just that we need teaching, we actually need to be shown where we're wrong as well. Now again, that's not a popular idea in our culture, is it? You're not really supposed to tell people that what they believe is wrong. But the Bible does that to us, doesn't it? It shows us where we're wrong. The Bible is useful then for showing where 
We've got wrong beliefs. And it's also (coughs) helpful for us to show that lovingly to others. I'm going to jump to the fourth one now. You'll see why in a minute. It's useful for training in righteousness. Now the idea there is positively what to do. The translation of training gets the idea across quite well. It's a practical word, isn't it? Training. It's what you do for running and sport and stuff. I'm I'm not really good at sport. I think it's what you do. Um, But the Bible is useful for showing us what to do. Not just as a list of do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's a whole mindset change that's going on. It tells us how to live our life. Not just do this, do that, do this, do that. It tells us how to live the gospel life. It trains us in righteousness. And then the last word is correction. So you might be able to work out this. We've had what to believe, what not to believe, what to do, and then what not to do. Or more, how to change what we're doing wrong. The word there literally means to cut a straight path again. It's like if you've gone off the path and you sort of have to work your way back through the sort of, I don't know if any of this happened on the walk, and sort of been filled in, but you know, if you go off the beaten track, and you've got to sort of work your way back up to the track. It's, it's getting back on track. That's what the word means. And the Bible talks about itself in this way, doesn't it? It talks about it being like a mirror that we're to look into. We're to see our fault and change. So it's showing us how we can be corrected, how we can change. And there's a purpose behind these four words, aren't they? The Bible is there to equip us. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's there to be used as a tool in our hands. The Bible gives us all that we need for gospel ministry. Because the things that we've talked about before, those four words, are the bread and butter of our ministry to each other, aren't they? These are the good works that we do. That might sound a little bit strange, because we often think of good works as, you know, it's always helping an old lady across the road, isn't it? I can never think of anything else on the moment. But, you know, doing nice things. But here it seems the good works are actually doing those four things with each other. So, for example, if I change the sentence into a, a, a sentence about a hammer, it would make a bit more sense. So, the hammer is profitable for hammering small nails, big nails, hard nails, and soft nails. That the person using the hammer may be thoroughly equipped for hammering nails. That's the way it works, isn't it? So what are we being equipped for? We're being equipped to do those things. Those are the good works that we do. Do you think about teaching as a good work or correction? Do you remember Jesus did those things with people? They were good works when Jesus did them because he cared about people enough to want them to to be taught, to be changed. It's not always what good works means in the Bible, but here it seems to be. And the Bible does equip us for other good works as well, but these are the ones it has in mind here. So in a world of fakes and false teaching, this is essential, isn't it? People's basic ideas about Christianity are seriously messed up. We're moralists at best and monsters at worst. It's a work that we all need to get involved in, using the tool that God has given us for the purpose that God has given it for. I mean, you wouldn't use the Bible as a doorstop, would you? But would you use it as a fact book? Just a book where you go for interesting facts? Would you use it as a book of devotions? Devotions are good. I'm not saying don't use it in that way. The word changes us as we read it. 
But through us, it can change others too. That's what ministry to one another is about. God doesn't want to leave us as we are, with false ideas and sinful behaviours. He loves us too much to leave us like that. Do we love another, each other enough to want each other to change? See, society says, love people as they are. And there's, there's truth to that, isn't there? God loves us even though we're sinners. But he loves us so much that he wants us to be better. He loves us as we are, but he doesn't want to leave us as we are. Will we follow his example? Will we use the tool that he's put in our hand for the purpose that he's given it to us? There are plenty of equivalents to that Nigerian astronaut's brother in our Christian world today, aren't there? Deceiving precious people, putting non-believers off and trapping believers, peddling lies and half-truths. So let's use the sword of the Spirit to fight back. Let's use the tools that he's given us to bring about real transformation in our lives and in the lives of others as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of the Bible. Father, thank you that it thoroughly equips us for every good work. And Father, in the face of lots of false teaching in our world, Father, false ideas about Christians and Christianity, Father, help us to fight back with the truth. Uh, Father, help us to do that lovingly and uh, gently as we were hearing uh, in the last passage. But Father, let us rely on the word to do the work. Let us rely on what the tools that you have given us uh, to do your work in our world, to transform people into the likeness of your son. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.